So I kind of made a note to myself never to follow Pete on a Sunday night. It just uh, doesn't seem like a, a good, good thing. So, so I was thinking about how to navigate life, and, and, and so I sent Blake my sermon topic, and he sent me a reply. It simply said, paddle, question mark, try this. <laughs> kind of looks like Blake, doesn't it? <laughs> now, now pictured here is a, is a jet canoe. It goes really, really, really fast. But what Blake forgot to mention was you can't steer it. It doesn't go very far, and the water in the back occasionally chokes out the engine. And one of the first things that came to my mind was Proverbs 14 and 12. There's a way that seems right to a man, but it ends in the way of death. So we're going to stick a pin in that idea for now and possibly come back to it later. And I, but what I'm going to talk about uh, tonight is, is four kinds of paddling, how it relates to life, and what Scripture has to say about it. If you're watching this on the video or the live uh, stream, you may want to stay to the end because like most canoe trips, this may not be going where you think it's going. So let's, let's start with paddling. Uh, so while there can be any number of kinds of paddling, I'm going to just talk about four. Let me start with Self-paddling. Self-paddling can be extremely satisfying, especially if you're in a calm lake and you know where you're going. In this scenario, you are solely responsible for paddling your own canoe. You have complete autonomy and control over the direction and speed of your life's journey. You're in charge of making your own decisions, setting goals, and determining your life's course. Next kind of paddling is, is co-paddling. Co Co-paddling is where you take on help. You have assistance from others, representing support, guidance, relationship for your life. Friends, family, mentors, and colleagues may join in your canoe, helping you paddle and navigate life's challenges. Cooperation and teamwork are extremely important, and fellow paddlers can help lighten your load as you pursue your course in life. Next, we have current paddling. Current paddling is probably the easiest of all the ways to paddle in that you're just riding along and letting fate, circumstances, and events impact your life's trajectory. If the lake is calm and the current is going your way, this can be extremely satisfying. And then finally, we have night paddling. Night paddling is finding your purpose in the midst of uncertainty, embracing the journey, however mysterious it may seem. Certainly, adding a light to the canoe during the night paddling can help. The light can make you more visible to others on the water and allow you to see your immediate surroundings more clearly. It helps us to navigate the challenges and uncertainties that come our way. So, life can be likened to paddling a canoe where there's the direction we choose and the efforts we put in determining our life's course. Just as paddling propels the canoe forward, our actions move us closer to our go uh, goals. In this voyage, we face obstacles, sometimes needing to adjust our course and the ability to balance various aspects of life is crucial. Like the teamwork of canoe partners, our relationships and collaborations play a significant role in our progress. Many would suggest that embracing the journey, finding joy in the presence, and staying mindful of each stroke can lead us to a fulfilling voyage. And we see this in other analogies as well. 
Life is like climbing a mountain. Climbing a mountain involves setting goals, facing obstacles, striving for the summit. Similarly in life, we set our aspirations, encounter difficulties, and work persistently toward our objectives. Life is like a journey. Life can be seen as a long journey with various uh, routes and, and destinations. We encounter crossroads, detours, and scenic routes. It's up to us to choose the path and enjoy the journey. Life is like a book. Our lives are stories filled with chapters, characters, plot twists, and lessons. We have the power to write and rewrite our narratives, creating our own unique tales. Life is like a marathon. Just as a marathon runner faces fatigue, perseverance, and endurance, we must stay committed to our long-term goals and keep moving forward. All of these have truths within them, but they also have difficulties in being true. While I may live my life like taking an enjoyable ride in a canoe, frankly, nothing could be further from the truth in that life is not really like paddling a uh, uh, canoe. Let me talk about this mental, how this mental image fails, and even though all of us have probably entertained it or some variation of it. Uh, first of all, in terms of paddling, I know that many of us are you're probably already ahead of me on this one. Being a self-paddler in a canoe of our lives is a very dangerous position to be in. In Psalms 127 and, and 1 and 2, it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. I've learned a couple of things in various incarnations of my own life paddling. First, those with the greatest certitude of knowing how life paddling works also have the biggest blind spots. Perhaps I'm living through hedonism or education or wealth or sports or other kinds of personal uh, entertainment. You might suggest to me that you have a, a jet-powered strategy to get me through life, but history has shown again and again that these strategies typically do not go far. They're not reliable, and they never get you where you want to go. The writer in Ecclesiastes said that he tried them all, denying himself nothing, and they were all meaningless and a chasing of the wind. Second, being a current paddler may seem easy as times till it isn't. It's a dangerous place to be. It's a place where we are directed by the whims and foolishness of those around us. Paul counsels against flitting from the current good thing to the next good thing. Our strengths, talents, and efforts are best when used if we are ever to mature in a meaningful way and being driven by other currents is not a good place to be. In Ephesians 4 and 12, it says, uh, well, starting in verse 11, Therefore, I, a, uh, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another uh, in love. We started in verse 1, but, but it's really good context. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led to the host of captives, he gave gifts to men. 
and saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended above all the heaven that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul says that the world is a place of shifting beliefs and values that does not lead in a direction that is fruitful. And I think we see that again and again and again. And so rather than being caught up in the whims of the world, we should strive towards spiritual maturity to withstand such challenges. Brings us to our purpose. The purpose is to trust in who created it all rather than in our own efforts. Trusting in God's plan. We see this in Proverbs uh, 3, verse 5 and, six, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. This means that we trust God, the creator of the universe, that he knows what's best in life. We trust God that even though we make plans and missteps, that he is more than capable of covering our mistakes and keeping us on the right path. It especially means that we trust God can give us rest in times of turmoil. Turn with me to James 3, and, and we're going to be starting in verse 13 there. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. James asks a question. He says, who is wise? Who's understanding among you? And wisdom means having insight into how things work. James gives us the key to a purposeful life. Trust in the Lord. Or we're destined to make bad choices and deluded decisions. Wise people understand the efforts engaged in now are going to show up later because all of life is connected. Purpose is important. And the giving up of paddling my own boat is essential to God's purpose. God not only gives me purpose, but also tells me how to have the wisdom to obtain it. You see, we've talked about this before in here, but wise people are humble people. I thank God that he cares about me so much that he tells me that one of the key ingredients to wisdom is humility. James says, do you think you're wise? Do you think you're insightful? Do you know how to keep things in perspective? If so, I want to challenge you. Let me see your wisdom 
and let me see your understanding by the deeds you do in the humility that comes from wisdom because wise people are always humble let me say that again wise people are always humble self-centeredness or arrogance doesn't make sense when we're trying to live a lot a fulfilling life arrogance is really irrational arrogance flies in the face of everything we know about how the world works and how people are think about how much you enjoy being around arrogant people James says, if you're wise, I want to see your wisdom and how you live your life. Wisdom is understanding how the world works and how things really are. How things really are is neither you nor me at the center. That's why the wiser you are, the humbler you're going to be. Humility makes sense, but humility isn't natural. Reading on in verse 14, James 3. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts... Do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. James tells us here that this is the opposite of wisdom. It's when you allow envy to take over. It's when you allow selfish ambition to take over. If you allow these things into your heart, your soul, this really flies into the face of how things should be. And it really flies into the face of what's good for us. Paul teases uh, this out in, in two unwise perspectives. This envy that you have, you keep that on the inside. And self-ambition, it's all about you. Because people who lack wisdom, lack humility, they make the world all about themselves. And that's not wise. Making the world all about you doesn't even make sense. James says if, if, if you're stuck there, if you allow that stuff to harbor in your heart, it becomes the filter through which you live. He said, you're just denying the truth. Wise people don't deny the truth. Wise people live in the light of the truth. Then James tells us what we already know. He says, because... Wherever we find this lodged in a heart. Wherever you find somebody deceived into thinking they're more than they really are. They lack wisdom and they lack humility. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Jesus said when the things get lodged inside of us, they're eventually going to have to come out. How dependent we are on the people around us and the circumstances around us contribute to diluted decisions in our life. When we lose sight of that, arrogance gets lodged in our heart. And eventually there's going to be disorder and there's going to be evil practices because people who allow these kinds of things to get lodged in their heart can justify just about anything. And worse yet, many want to take you with them. And we see that over and over in the world that we live in today. If you find yourself in this uh, position, and frankly, most of us have a piece of it, it's a really scary thought. Because the purpose inside of you is coming for you. Now, that could be a good thing. 
but it can be a terrible thing. Not only that the purpose of is, is coming for you, but it's also coming for the people that are around you because we influence those that are around us. And so the best time to deal with this is before you make decisions, before you make hasty choices, before you make it all about you. But here's an interesting thing, and I've said this before, but the more I think about it, I was like, wow, that's, re that's really profound. So I probably got it from someplace else. The second best time, and it, it really sounds weird, is right after you've made a hasty decision or you've made a deluded choice and you're saying, I'm going to recenter. We need to continually redirect and connect to God and His wisdom. Solo paddling leads into a direction of our own design and the current paddling to a life destined for destruction. It's only through God's purpose that we can succeed. This makes collaboration in life and exercise only as far as it's connected to God and his purpose. Listen to this again. Collaboration in life is good only as far as it is connected to God and his purpose. In this regard, not only is collaboration beneficial, it's seen throughout scripture as a marquee principle. First, Christ, uh, Christ says you should not be going through a life alone. That at the most basic level, collaboration makes the work so much easier. In Matthew 11 and 28, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Life was never intended to be done alone. And those who insist on tackling it on their own terms will find the burden heavy and rest seldom. You cannot sleep much when you're the only person paddling a boat. And so God's purposes are best obtained through collaborative efforts. We see Paul encouraging churches to engage with each other as they make their way in Galatians 6 and, and 1. Uh, he says, Brother, if anyone is caught up in any transgression, you who are spiritual, spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ Paul says, you've got to help each other. And especially if you see people drowning in their own transgressions. But we see a caution here. Be sure you don't get caught up in their transgressions as we try to save others. Helping should be in our nature. And it's one of those things that lightens the load for those who are the, are the Lord's. Further on in the chapter, it says, this should not be passing off my burdens, but rather sharing the load with others. Indeed, all of the chapter is about us carrying our share, but in a way that benefits those around us. It's why the church is and should be 
and I believe is here at Oldham Lane, a stronghold of helpers. The chapter continues in verse 9, where Paul says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let's do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. Paul hits this again when he's writing to the church at Thessalonica in, in 1 Thessalonians uh, 5, in, in starting in verse 9. He says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another. Build one another up. Just as you're doing. Probably the clearest articulation of shared help in the Bible is Jesus' new command that he gives in John 13 and 34. And he says, a new command I give you. And we've heard this again and again. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Sharing the load's not just a nice sentiment. It's a divine mandate given to us by Christ and reinforced by the apostles. As followers of Jesus, we are called to be there for one another. To bear each other's burdens and to love with a selfless love that reflects Christ's love for us. When we share the load, we strengthen our bonds of the Christian community and we provide a powerful testimony to the world. Probably the place the paddling canoe analogy fails most is where it's placed. It's hard to see the future when we tend to focus on the next event, the next obligation, the next objective, or the next relationship. Tunnel vision is a, is, a, is a term used to describe the narrowing of one's visual field when a, when a person becomes intensely focused on a specific point or task. And they do so at the cost of excluding peripheral details. This should be expected. And it occurs when people are highly concentrating on that task or they're experiencing extreme stress or anxiety, or they're in a state of intense concentration. So while tunnel vision can enhance your focus about what's right in front of you, it also leads to reduced awareness of the broader environment. And there's the rub. You see, canoeing, lifelike, Life-like, like life. I'll get it. And this is a killer line, so let me try it again. Canoeing, like life, can be dangerous if we're not aware of our environment. When Meryl and I first got married, we had a, we had a, a, a friend who donated a cabin for our honeymoon. That was a pretty cool, a cool thing. It was a great place. It was an awesome place. Really enjoyed it. It was the first place that I ever used a gas grill and wondered, where has this been all my life? You just turn them on and they fire up. It was awesome. And another thing that this, this place had was a canoe. And I, I'd been canoeing at camp, and, and I thought, well, I'll take my lovely bride for a canoe trip on the lake. 
So we went out on the lake, and we got pretty far from shore, and all of a sudden, we got caught up in one of those dust devil kinds of winds that swirls around. I'm told that it's, you know, this rapidly rotating column of air. It's, and, you know, so you can, you can actually see the vortex of it. So it's, it's sort of a mini uh, tornado, but it's, it's not as powerful or destructive as a tornado. But they can still be strong enough to cause minor damage. And this thing spun our canoe around. So while I didn't say anything to my lovely bride, it occurred to me that I was in the wrong place, in the wrong boat, going in the wrong direction, and I made a decision to go back to where it was safe. Because you see, life is not like canoeing on a lake. Life is like canoeing on an ocean. In today's world, we often find ourselves feeling tossed about by the stormy seas. Even if there aren't uh, storms coming, the winds of change, the currents of uncertainty, and the waves of temptation leave us feeling adrift and unstable. But as Christians, we have an anchor that can keep us steadfast in the face of life's storms. The ocean is no place for canoes. And life is no place for us to be in charge. Psalms 46, it says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the hearts of the sea. I may set my course and direction by the light that I put in the front of my canoe, but I'm not guaranteed it's guiding me in the right direction. So, I may be the strongest person alive, and I'm still not going to make the journey of life successfully. I may have friends, family, mentors, colleagues helping me, but I'm still not going to make it because life is like an ocean and because the seas of life are waters that no one has successfully navigated save one, and he brought us a ship and salvation to bring us home. The church was never established as an inconvenience. It was established as a place of safety and rest in a troubled sea. When you're on the seas, there's no making it if you're in a canoe. There's no sleep if you're in a canoe. There's no salvation if you're trying to paddle a canoe because nobody has survived the journey and it is fraught with storms and difficulties and there's only one map and that's the word of God. In Romans 3, verse 22, it says, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through redemption that is Christ Jesus. Jesus wants to take us home. But more than that, he wants to have us live in a life, have us live a life in a way that gives us rest and help and joy and peace. And you've probably heard it, maybe you've even said it yourselves. I don't know how people survive without being a Christian. 
And the truth of the matter is, they don't. But the good news is that Christ has brought us salvation. But more than that, Peter tells us in 2 Peter uh, uh, 1 and 3, His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desire. But even more than that, we are called to call those struggling on the seas of life that there's, there's a better way than trying to paddle a canoe on an ocean voyage. God promises salvation direction, joy, peace. You see, it says in Psalms 46, God is our refuge and strength an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. If you're in the ocean of life, relying on efforts, it's, it's time for a reset. There's no amount of strength or help or shortcuts that can get you to the other side because our efforts were never sufficient to get us through. But Jesus guarantees that he can get us safely home if we trusted him. So, whether you would like to embrace his call for the first time through the waters of baptism or recommit to him as Lord or master of your life journey, he waits for you. He beckons you. He pleads with you. Come where it's safe in the ocean of life. If you have any need, won't you come as we sing the song that's been selected?